Okay, everybody. My name is Sarah Krager. I'm an emergency physician and intensivist at UCLA, and this is the ICU EDU podcast. Today, we are talking about critical case number three. This was a 73-year-old gentleman who'd presented to the emergency department with altered mental status and hypoxemia. And so he came in and he was super altered and was initially satting in the mid 80s. They put a face mask on him and chest x-ray looked like he probably had an aspiration pneumonia. So they admit him to medicine, um, send him upstairs with aspiration pneumonia. His SATs had gotten up to the sort of, you know, low to mid 90s on the face mask um, and they send him up to the floor. He had only been up on the floor for maybe an hour before a rapid response was called. So I come in to see him as part of the rapid response, and he looks quite terrible. He's super tachypnic. He's back to being hypoxemic on, like, full-on 15 liters face mask. Sats are, like, in the mid-80s. He's breathing at 40, and he's just taking these little shallow breaths. And the hospitalist was at bedside, and they had called me over with the rapid response because they were like, you know, we want to send him downstairs for a CT angio of his chest to rule out a PE. Um, and they thought that he probably wasn't safe to go to CT without being intubated. I 100% agreed with them that he did not look like the kind of guy you wanted to go now and lay flat and send a CT scan at all. Uh, that clearly seemed like a bad idea. Um, but I was actually not so worried about a PE because when I examined this guy, you know, he was taking these tiny little tidal volumes, super decipnic, but tiny little tidal volumes. But the most significant thing about his exam, actually, was that his belly was really concerning. So he's a pretty obese guy. So it wasn't completely obvious just staring at him. But when you felt his belly, it was really distended and it was pretty tender. And we got a repeat chest x-ray. And the most impressive thing about this repeat chest x-ray was not so much this aspiration pneumonia. I mean, yes, it looked like he probably had some aspiration pneumonia brewing, but it was really that his diaphragm was super high and his lung volumes were super small. And it looked like he maybe had some distended loops of bowel. So we get a full-on you know, KUB abdominal x-ray, and indeed, it looks like he definitely has a bunch of very distended bowel. So this guy is the dyspnea masquerade. He is yet another case of somebody coming in, saying he can't breathe, looking like he can't breathe. So we not unreasonably say, can't breathe, it must be the lungs. But in fact, his primary problem probably had nothing directly to do with his lungs because the lung bone is connected to the abdomen bone. And when, like in his case, you have a very significant abdominal process going on that's giving you abdominal distension, increased intra-abdominal pressure, and now your diaphragm's just mashing up and smooshing your lungs, that is causing some respiratory failure. It's also not being helped by the fact that one, he was having severe abdominal pain. And just like you can have respiratory failure from splinting from pain when you have rib fractures, if you have severe abdominal pain, it hurts to take a deep breath as well. So he's probably also splinting from pain to a certain extent. And finally, this guy was also developing a worsening lactic acidosis. And so probably partially, at least, he was a little bit tachypnic because of that. Now, why was he hypoxemic? Probably because of derecruitment right? It probably wasn't primarily the aspiration pneumonia that was doing it because it just wasn't that impressive. But that diaphragm mashing up on his chest, mashing those lung volumes down was causing a lot of derecruitment. 
And so, you know, initially to a point, just giving him a higher fraction of inspired oxygen with the face mask helped. But as things progressed and got worse and the de-recruitment got worse, you could no longer overcome that just with oxygen. So how are we going to intubate this guy safely? Because now I really want to send him to CT, but a CT of his abdomen, not of his chest so much. But I really don't want to lay him flat because the minute I lay this guy flat for CT, he's going to vomit and aspirate. And then he's going to have a primary lung problem because one of the least favorite things that can happen to the lungs is inhaling acid. Turns out they don't like that. Acid bath, not so much. So some of the worst respiratory failure I've ever seen has been patients who aspirated gastric contents. And that's what I'm worried about with this guy. So we're definitely not sending him anywhere till we secure the airway. But I was also like, you know, his lungs themselves maybe aren't that bad. Maybe we can just please an NG tube, decompress his belly, and then maybe his breathing will get a lot better. And maybe we won't have to intubate. But either way, even if we still need to intubate him to send him safely to CT, it'll be so much safer from an aspiration risk standpoint if we can just place an NG tube. So that sounded like a really clever idea, um, except that it totally failed because he's super altered. He's fighting me. You know, we're having to take the face mask off partially at least to try and place the NG tube. And, you know, we tried a couple times and he just starts desetting profoundly now when we're trying to place the NG tube. So that plan clearly not working. Now we're just going to go straight to intubation. The question is, how do we safely intubate this guy? What is our biggest concern? What's our biggest problem here? Well, he's reasonably obese. Um, but, you know, really, other than that, he doesn't on exam look like he should be anatomically difficult. Our biggest concern is that he's going to aspirate during intubation. So how are we going to safely intubate him? I sort of break things down into my four categories. One, how am I going to prep my patient? Two, what drugs am I having on hand? Three, let me plan out my sequence of intubation events. And then four, post-intubation, what am I doing here? So for him, patient prep. I don't think that I have time and bandwidth to do a safe awake intubation here. Like on the one hand, I don't really want to paralyze this guy uh, because am I worried about everything relaxing and gastric contents and so forth? Yeah. But, you know, awake intubations are actually quite difficult, can be complicated and are not often the safest thing. And what I really need to do is just get that tube in that guy as fast as possible. So I'm going to put him on some high-flow nasal cannula. But the key thing to this intubation is keeping the patient completely upright. So as an aside, I think it's kind of silly that we lay patients flat to intubate them. Like, why would we do that? That's not helping their airway anatomy. It's really not helping their lung volumes. It's not helping their aspiration risk. It just is really not helping anything at all. So I tend to not lay patients completely flat for intubation regardless. But this situation is a totally different category. I want to keep this guy sitting completely upright. With regard to his gastric contents and aspiration, I want gravity on my side here, especially once I induce him and relax everything. So I'm going to keep him completely sitting up while I prep him completely upright. Now, how am I going to do this? Because if I'm going to DL this guy, I just 
I mean, that's often why we lay people down, right? Because you just can't get a view with them sitting upright. So I'm not going to go first past DL. I'm going to have DL as backup because if he starts vomiting on me and I can't see anything with my video scope, okay, absolutely. But that's not what I'm going to do first pass. I'm going to get a glide scope and a CPR stool. And I'm going to keep the patient sitting 100% upright. I'm going to stand on the CPR stool or just stand on the back of the bed if somebody can't get me a CPR stool and then use my glide scope to overcome the sort of logistical steric hindrance of having him completely upright. Because you can actually get a decent view standing on the back of the bed or a CPR stool to give yourself height and then using that glide scope. And the glide scope also means you don't have to worry quite so much about getting their head in a sniffing position, quote unquote, because that's hard to do with them sitting upright. So that's how I'm going to get him ready. 100% upright. I'm on a CPR stool. I have him on high flow nasal cannula. I also have a lot of suction ready to go. Now, second, drugs on hand. In this case, you know, I just need this to be fast. I just need to get whatever we have. And if I wanted to use ketamine, it's going to take me a long time to get it. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have it in my Pixis. So I'm just like, grab the intubation drug kit that we have. And ours has Rock, Atomidate, and Versed. Great. So I'm just going to do Rock and Atomidate. But I'm also going to mix up some push-dose epi and get some fluids going. Because this guy is probably only normotensive because he's so sympathetically activated that he, you know, is driving his pressure up because of his endogenous catechols because he can't breathe. So I know he's going to get hypotensive peri-intubation, or at least that's really likely. So I'm going to start some fluids. I'm going to have push-dose epi ready. Sequence of events. Keep the head of the bed upright and make sure everybody knows this in the room. Announce it to everybody because some helpful person is just really going to want to lay them flat because that's just what we do. I'm going to push my drugs. I'm going glide scope first pass. And the punchline here is I need to get that tube in as fast as possible, right? So I have everything ready to go, push my drugs fast and get that tube in as quickly as possible. I have my suction ready. And if I need to, if he really starts vomiting, then okay, you know, um, but if I can just get this in quickly, that is probably the best thing I can do for this patient. So fortunately, we managed to get the ET tube in very quickly. We blow up the balloon and then post-intubation. So post-intubation, um, I'm actually keeping him sitting him up for the moment. And I'm just going to place the NG tube while he's sitting up because, yes, my airway is now protected. But, you know, again, those ET tube balloons are not 100% impervious. So I don't need to risk sort of him vomiting if not necessary. So we're going to go crazy. Um, just place the NG tube while he's sitting up. When you're bagging, use a peep valve. Remember, those lung volumes are constricted, but giving them a little higher peep will help you re-recruit those lungs. And it might be difficult to get a high tidal volume because his diaphragm is constricting his lungs. So we're going to want a relatively high respiratory rate. You're just running with a relatively low tidal volume because, you know, one, he does have aspiration pneumonia. You're going to protect the lungs. But also, you may not be able to get higher tidal volumes without super high pressures just because those lungs are so compressed with the abdomen. So that's the key thing for this guy, is in his case, sitting him up and knowing how to intubate somebody safely while they're actually sitting up. Thanks so much for listening.